This is Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov. Greetings and welcome to another episode on Focus on God's Word. My name is Danny Milenkov and I'm blessed to be moving into this series on the story of Noah, this incredible story that we find in the book of Genesis that unpacks what the Bible has to say, not only about the time of Noah, but more importantly, as Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days before I come. So from wherever you are watching, I want to give you a big, warm welcome. And I thank God that you have chosen to, to join with me as we journey through this incredible story in the book of Genesis. Those who are here in our 3ABN studio here in beautiful Lake Macquarie, New South Wales, Australia, I want to give you a big, warm welcome. And this is the, the fifth part in this series. And uh, today's message follows on from the previous message. That is part four. The, the title of that was Crumbling Foundation. So this is really part two. So I'd encourage you to ensure that you've watched part four in order to have a good grasp and a good foundation of what we'll be looking at in this particular message. And this message I've entitled God's, God's End Time Covenant of Love. As I pointed out, um, Jesus said that the story of Noah was especially significant for those that would be living just before he returns. For he said in Matthew 24 and Luke 17, as it was in the days of Noah, and he also added Lot in Luke chapter 17, so it will be before the Son of Man returns. And as I have been watching and viewing the things that have been taking place in the world, especially in the last couple of decades, I am coming to the conclusion more and more with each passing day that we are indeed living on the verge of a stupendous crisis. I really do believe that the coming of Jesus is very, very near. And this message is especially relevant and important to those who are living at the very close of Earth's history. So let's remind ourselves of, of the three key points that come out of the story of Noah. Firstly, we discover that the story of Noah clearly identifies Earth's final generation, and we have discovered that we are that final generation. Secondly, the story of Noah enables us to know and understand how we can be ready when the Son of Man returns. And third and most important of all, I would suggest is this, that the story of Noah provides instruction on how we can prepare others for Jesus' soon return. Noah was a man of righteousness. Noah was a man who not only prepared himself and his family, but he was also a man who was, who was focused on preparing the world at his time for, for, for safety in the ark when the flood would come. So Noah was a man who, who, aimed to, who aimed to save the people of his day. And so God too wants to use us in that very same way. Now, before we plunge into this all important message, we need to do something extremely important before we open up God's word. And what's that? We need to pray. So let's pause and pray one more time. Father in heaven, we ask and pray that you will bless our time together in your word as we open your holy word, Father, and, and unpack a little more from this story of Noah, this incredible story that you've given us in Holy Scripture. We pray that your Holy Spirit will illuminate our minds and our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
In our last message, we discovered that at the beginning of time, when God created this world in six 24-hour days, the Bible uses a word in those last three days of the seven-day week, the first seven-day week, that we don't find in the first four days of creation. And that word begins with B. Does someone remember from our last message? It's the word blessed, blessed. The Bible says that God poured out his blessing on the animals and all of nature. He also poured out his blessing on marriage and the family. And the Bible also says that God poured out his blessing on the seventh day Sabbath. Now, we took a look at the, the first two blessings, the animals, marriage and the family. We discovered that God created a beautiful environment where the animals could flourish. And he created a beautiful environment where, where humanity could flourish. And we discovered that as we drew near to the time of the flood, um, the enemy came in and he destroyed or was destroying in the process of destroying God's creation. And people were destroying themselves. There was no value in human life. There was no value in animal life. And then we also discovered in our last message that from the time of the flood, after the flood, all the way to our day in particular, sadly, the enemy has been at work. And today we find ourselves living in a world, in a world that is, that is being ravaged by abuse when it comes to the environment. Now, you know, instead of instead of taking care of the environment, we find ourselves in a world where we are exploiting the environment more and more and the animals and there's extinction on a scale that we have not seen before. And marriage in the family. Let's not even let's not even go there. Uh, marriage in the family um, is, is being is being destroyed by the enemy because he knows that is the very foundation for a healthy and a prosperous society. Now, when it comes to the seventh day Sabbath. This is the third and final blessing. And let me suggest this is the climax of all three of the blessings that 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 bring the other two together in a beautiful way. Now, when it comes to the seventh day Sabbath, I discovered as I read the creation account that this indeed is the climax of God's of God's work of the seventh day week. And it has special significance for us today. And in fact, in Genesis, notice what we have here when it comes to how God forms and then how God fills. I'm going to give you this, um, this uh, little um, graph, I guess you could call it, this, this, this information graph that I picked up out of my Andrews Study Bible. And you can see there on your screen that on day one, God creates light. And on day four, God fills that light with the sun, the moon and the stars. On day two, God forms the firmament, that is the sky and the seas. And on day five, God fills the sky with the birds and God fills the sea with the fish. On day six, God creates dry land and vegetation. And on day on day three, did I, I'm not sure if I said day three. On day three, he, he created dry land and vegetation. And on day six, he filled that with land animals and human beings. But we know that in a week, we have how many days? We have seven days. So what did God create on the seventh day? 
He actually didn't create anything. The Bible says he rested. He blessed the day, he rested and he sanctified it. So, so what did God feel that seventh day that he formed? He filled it with his blessing. He filled it with his presence. He filled it with his joy. He filled it with his delight. And so the seventh day, according to the Genesis creation account, is the very climax. It's the bullseye, if you like. The bullseye of creation. And we looked at that in a previous presentation where we discovered there is a bullseye in the story of Noah, that God remembered Noah. And that's in Genesis chapter 8, 1. And so the Sabbath is God's bullseye. So as I have been reading through the story of Noah, I was asking myself this question, Lord, at the beginning of time, you created blessings for the animals and all of nature. You created a blessing for for marriage and the family. You also created a blessing for those that would enter into your rest each and every Sabbath day. And we discovered that after the flood, God blessed all of the animals and he blessed all of nature. After the flood, God blessed marriage and the family. And in both situations with the animals and with marriage and the family, God said, be fruitful and multiply using the same language that we find in the Genesis creation account, be fruitful and multiply. And so I was asking myself, Lord, what about the seventh day Sabbath? Where is the seventh day Sabbath? Did you, after the flood re-establish and reinstate the seventh day Sabbath that you gave at creation that would continue all the way through to the end of time. Is it there in the story? And I couldn't find it to begin with. And so I'm looking and I'm praying and I'm looking and I'm praying and I'm reading and I'm reading. And all of a sudden, God in his mercy and in his grace showed me the seventh day Sabbath post-flood, after the flood. Wow. And I was just so blessed. And so what I'm going to share with you in this message, I have not read in any book, I have not heard in any sermon, but it is simply through the inspiration that God has given me. So I give God all the credit, all the glory and all the thanks for what he has shared with me that I today have the privilege of sharing with you. So So wherever you are watching, You are going to be blessed in what we're going to unpack because we are going to discover together that the Sabbath blessing is embedded in the story of Noah. And it's especially relevant for those who will be living at the end of time. Where is the Sabbath blessing embedded? In one word. And that word is beginning with C. That word is the word covenant. Covenant. We discover in the book of Genesis that the word covenant is first used. Once God uses the word before the flood and seven times after the flood. Seven being God's number, seven being the number of perfection, seven being the day of the Sabbath. And that's very significant in and of itself. But before we take a look at where this word appears, and we're going to take a look at all eight references to the covenant in the story of Noah. Before we do that, let's just take a look at what the word covenant means. Now, the word covenant, it means alliance, solemn pledge, 
or a binding agreement. That's what the word covenant means according to scripture. Now, covenants in scripture were made between God and human beings as well as between, between human beings. So when it comes to the covenant that is made between individuals, okay, covenant between men, and I mean that in a generic sense. According to scripture, it's a friendship alliance, an agreement, a pledge, a treaty, a marriage alliance, and we call it, you know, the marital covenant, monarch with subjects through a constitution or ordinance. That's, that's the covenant between individuals. Now, what about the covenant between God and man? Well, the covenant between God and man signifies a divine alliance of friendship with ordinances, signs or pledges. Notice those words, signs or pledges. So that's what we have in Scripture. And that's what we have in ancient times, covenants. They've come down to us from the beginning of time. Now, in the Andrews Study Bible that I have, there is an interesting summary of, of the covenant that God makes with individuals. And I think this is a beautiful summary that really captures the very heart of the covenant that God initiates and makes with human beings. Notice these words from the Andrews Study Bible. God's covenant with humanity is unilateral. That is, He is taking the initiative. There are conditions and requirements, but it is God's grace. Notice, it is God's grace that is foundational to the covenant. With humanity responding by what? Faith and obedience. So that is the covenant in a nutshell. God pours out His grace upon an individual or upon the world. That's the Sabbath. That's all of God's blessings. They come in a covenant form. And then he invites us to respond to his covenant through faith and through obedience. So let's take a look at this word covenant. We're going to go to the first time that is used. And immediately prior to the flood, this is what God says to Noah. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn with me as we take a look at these words in Genesis chapter 6 and verses 17 to 19. Genesis chapter 6 and verses 17 to 19. Here the first time we have that term covenant mentioned in all of Scripture. Verse 17, God speaking to Noah, he says, And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But, God goes on, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons with wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. So here we have the first mention of the word covenant. God says to Noah, I am making a covenant with you and with all of the animals, with you and your family and all of the animals. And I am going to spare you. I am going to save you. And all those, 
all those that want to join you. This was an open invitation. God wasn't only concerned about Noah and his family, that is Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives, eight individuals in total. God wanted to save the entire world. Now you may be thinking, Danny, time out, time out, time out. How many years of history have gone by since the days of Adam and Eve? Over 1,500 years? How on earth can God fit that many people over 1,500 years when people are living almost 1,000 years? How on earth can God fit them all in one boat that is 450 feet wide, 70, sorry, 450 feet long, I should say, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high, three-story boat, how on earth is he going to fit the entire world population in a boat that size? Now, that's a good question. And thank you for asking that if you were thinking that. How on earth is God going to do it? Well, the truth is, God did not need to send a flood. You're thinking, what? What do you mean God did not need to send a flood? He said, I'm going to send a flood. God's didn't want to send a flood. There was no other choice that God had. God's plan was to save human beings. God's plan was to spare the human race from a flood. God's plan was to avert the flood. flood. You may be thinking, what do you mean? Well, let's let's remind ourselves of the story of Jonah. The story of Jonah, many years beyond the time of the flood, where, where, where God said to Jonah, go and tell the people of Nineveh in 40 days, I'm going to wipe off this city from the face of the earth. I'm going to bring down fire and it's going to be gone. And what did the people of Nineveh do during the time of Jonah? They repented. They repented. And did God spare that city with 120,000 people? with 120,000 adults, I should say, plus children, plus cattle, plus everything the Bible says. Yes, God spared that city. God is in the business of saving and sparing, not destroying. And so God would have averted the flood if the people would have repented. He would have had another plan in place. So how how does Noah respond to God's covenant promise. How does Noah respond to God's covenant promise? We continue reading. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 22, we read these words. In Genesis 6 verse 22, Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Notice, Noah here expresses genuine faith and obedience and trust. And the Bible says in Genesis 7:16, so those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The Lord sealed Noah. The Lord preserved his life. The Lord kept him safe. In Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, we discovered in a previous message, that this is the very heart of the Noah story. This story that's in the form of a chiasm, where the bullseye is right at the very center. And we read these words, Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him 
in the ark. God remembered Noah, who with whom he established his covenant. The two go hand together, hand in hand together. Throughout scripture, when God establishes his covenant, he remembers his people and he blesses them. Can you say amen? When God establishes his covenant, he remembers his people and he blesses them and he preserves them and he shuts them in to his presence. He shuts them in and he protects them and and he places them in his loving care. So how does Noah, how does Noah respond to God's covenant of grace and deliverance after the flood? So the flood has come and gone and now Noah responds in this way. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20 we read, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. This is what Noah does. The very first thing that he does after he exits the ark, after God has preserved his life and the life of his family and all the animals. And by the way, they were in lockdown for over a year. You know, so you and I, we complain about lockdown today. But they were in lockdown, serious lockdown for over one year. They were in the ark, according to the biblical record. Now, Noah recognized that it wasn't his engineering skills that saved the day. Because this storm that was beyond what you and I can comprehend could only be averted. Death could only be averted if God's angels protected this ark. This boat. And that's exactly what God did through his angels. He protected this ark. There's a beautiful insight that we read in Patriarchs and Prophets of of what Noah has done after the flood, how he has expressed his love, his faithfulness, his thankfulness to God. Notice these words from Patriarchs and Prophets written by Ellen White. And she writes these words. In the joy of their release, Noah did not forget him by whose gracious care they had been preserved. His first act, notice his very first act after leaving the ark was to build an altar and offer from every kind of clean beast and fowl a sacrifice, thus manifesting his gratitude to God for deliverance and his faith in Christ. The great sacrifice. Here was a lesson for all succeeding generations. Noah had come forth upon a desolate earth, but before preparing a house for himself, he built an altar to God. His stock of cattle was small and had been preserved at great expense. Yet he cheerfully gave a part to the Lord as an acknowledgement that all was his notice as far as Noah was concerned, his first act was to, was to show forth his devotion, his love toward God. And although he only had a small flock, he only had seven pairs of all the clean animals and they were the only animals that were, that were appropriate for, being, for sacrifice to God. And even though he only had a little, he still gave of his very best, and he gave to God first. That reminds me of the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 33, 
where Jesus said, Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and His what? Righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. And Noah was a man of righteousness who preached a message of righteousness, who sought first God's kingdom, the things of God's kingdom and His righteousness. And that's a lesson for all of us to put God first in all things. And if we put God first in all things, He has promised to do what? To bless us, to bless us. God will never let you down. And so how does God respond to Noah's act of sacrifice and devotion? Notice what we continue to read in Genesis verse, in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21 and 22. We read these words. And the Lord smelled smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. Instead, God makes a promise. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer and day and night shall not cease shall not cease. God makes a promise to Noah, to his family and to the entire world that for the rest of human history, until the coming of Jesus, there will never, ever again be a worldwide flood. Never again a worldwide flood. So now you may be thinking, Danny, that's very interesting. And that's and that's and that's and that's insightful. But Danny, where is this link? Where is this link between the covenant that God made with Noah and all creation and the Sabbath day? Where is this link? Where is this link? And now we are going to unpack and explore this Beautiful insight that God gave to me that that brings together God's covenant of love with Noah after the flood and God's Sabbath from creation to all of humanity for the rest of human history and into eternity, as we will discover. So now we're going to continue reading. We're going to continue reading the answer to this question. And we're going to discover the next seven times the word covenant is used. And what's seven once again? It's God's number. It's God's number of perfection. All the way through scripture, seven is God's number of perfection. And this seven, I believe, also is another indicator that God here is trying to send us a message, trying to send us back to creation, back to the Sabbath of creation. Notice these words. Verse 8, we'll begin in verse 8 of chapter 9, Genesis 9, verse 8. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons and with him saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle and every beast of the earth with you, all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now, before we continue... 
I want to encourage you to take note of the words that I have highlighted in the following verses from verses 12 to 17. We're going to come back to those because they are very significant. We continue reading verse 12. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. That word perpetual means means everlasting without end. So this is continuous. That's what perpetual means. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. In verse 17, And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Wow. So what do we have here? We have here the rainbow, the rainbow that God placed in the heavens as a sign, a continual sign until the end of time. We have a picture of the rainbow somewhere. There we go. There's a beautiful picture of the rainbow. This rainbow is a sign that there will never again be a worldwide flood. Is this rainbow clear? Is it visible? Yes. Is it an outward sign? Yes. You remember earlier we discovered that when God makes a covenant with human beings or with all of humanity, He will often place a sign or a symbol, an outward sign or a symbol to help individuals know that this is the covenant that God has initiated and made out of his grace. Now, when we take a look at God's rainbow, notice some of the words that come out of the text. I've got them up there on the screen for you. God's rainbow. It's a sign. It's God's covenant. It's an everlasting covenant to perpetual generations, to all generations. And finally, God remembers and blesses the whole world. So that is what we have here in the Noah story. So now let's take a look at the Sabbath. All right, the Sabbath. I was asking myself, can we find these same elements from the Noah story concerning the the rainbow sign? Can we find them in the Sabbath? So I decided to do a little bit of investigation, a little bit of biblical investigation. And so I I, I looked at putting some pieces together. And now we are going to take a look at God's masterpiece, how he brings all these pieces together. Notice these two key passages, the one in Exodus 20 and the other one in Exodus 31. And we're going to begin with Exodus chapter 20, where God gives... The Ten Commandments, and there in the heart of the Ten Commandments, we find the fourth commandment, the one concerning the Sabbath. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. God says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, 
But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord did what? He blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, before we go any further, I'd love to just park myself and spend a whole bunch of time on this commandment. But if you would have noticed the the word and the language, and I'd encourage you to read and reread this commandment again, for you discover that the Sabbath is a blessing not only to, to mankind, but the Sabbath is a blessing to all the animals that God has created. And it's a blessing to all of nature. The land is to rest. The environment is to rest. Animals, humans, we are all to rest with God. So God, so the Sabbath day, the Sabbath day in a beautiful way is, is what God intended at the very beginning of time when there was no sin in this world, when there was complete harmony between animals and nature and humans and God, when there was perfect harmony. The Sabbath is a, is a taste each week of how we can enjoy that beautiful harmony and that perfect harmony with God. Now, let's continue reading the, the, the second passage in Exodus 31. We read these words. Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant or an everlasting covenant. And verse 17, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. So what do we have here in these two Sabbath passages? Notice this list and we have it up there on the screen. God's Sabbath is a sign. God's Sabbath is God's covenant to all of humanity. God's Sabbath is the everlasting covenant. God's Sabbath is for perpetual generations, for all generations. And God's Sabbath is God remembering and blessing the whole world. So let's put these two together. Here we have God's rainbow and God's Sabbath. And when you go down the list, guess what you have? You have identical blessings from God associated with the rainbow as well as with the Sabbath. So to put it simply and purely, God's Sabbath at the end of time is indeed a symbol of the rainbow in the days of Noah and all the way to today. And it's interesting that the Sabbath is embedded in the story of Noah in Noah's actual name. Noah, his name means rest. It means rest. And so we've got the Sabbath embedded in Noah's very name. Jesus comes along in Mark 2.27 and this is what he says. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for who? For man and not man for the Sabbath. The word man there is the word anthropos. 
It's where we get our word anthropology, which is a study of humanity. The Sabbath was made for man. Just like the rainbow is a sign to all of humanity, to all generations until Jesus comes, that there will never, ever be a flood again. The Sabbath is a sign all the way through from creation to the end of time and beyond that God's covenant of love remains with his people. His blessing is to be poured out on the entire world. It's an outward sign. God's end time rainbow is the Sabbath. It absolutely is. There is no other way to bypass that. It's in the story of Noah after the flood. We have that third blessing that is showcased. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 13, we read these words, and they are fascinating concerning God's commandments. It says, So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. God's Ten Commandments are described as his covenant. And it's interesting when we take a look at where the the Ten Commandments were stored. They were stored in a box called the what? The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. And inside the Ark of the Covenant, of course, are the Ten Commandments that God wrote with his own finger on two tablets of stone. So the question is, will God have faithful people at the end of time that respond to his grace and enter into a covenant of love with him. Will God have such a people at the end of time? The answer is yes. Yes. Revelation 12 verse 17 tells us, and the dragon, and that's a symbol of Satan, was enraged with the woman that is God's end time people, God's end time church, and he went to make war with the rest or the remnant of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Will there be a people on planet earth at the end of time like Noah who are faithful to God, who keep his commandments, not to be saved, but because they have been saved because of a love relationship they have with God? Yes, there will be. For Jesus said, as it was in the days of who? Noah, so it will be when I come. And why does, why does the enemy, the dragon, hate God's people who keep his commandments? The answer is simple. Because Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. And the enemy does not want anyone showing genuine love to God, their creator. Noah walked with God. He was a righteous man. God will have such a people on planet Earth that will share God's final message of love to the world. The three angels' messages are God's final message of love to the world. This is it. These three messages of love that God shares with the world one final time before, before he sends his son, Jesus, will prepare the world for the coming of Jesus. They're found in Revelation chapter 14. And in Revelation 14, before we, before we take a look at that first angel's message, in Revelation 14, we have, we have the first part, verses 1 to 5, that describes the character of God's end time people, the character. They walk with God. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes, just like Noah. The message that they share the three angels' messages, and then the reward that God has for them. 
the same as in the days of Noah, a righteous man who preached a message for his time to prepare a people for the coming storm. And then there was the reward that God had for Noah and his family. Have a look at how the first angel's message begins. In verses six and seven, we read these words of Revelation 14. John writes, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the what kind of gospel? The everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people. And before we go any further, we are reminded of the words of Jesus who said in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will go how far? To all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. This is the gospel that Jesus said must go to the whole world before he returns. This is the gospel in an end time context. And it's called the everlasting gospel. Just like the covenant that God made between Noah and his family and the world is called the the everlasting covenant. And the Sabbath is referred to as the everlasting covenant for all generations. So too the gospel, which means good news. That's what the word gospel means. Good news is for all generations, for all time. We continue reading this first angel's message saying with a loud voice, that word there, loud and voice, are the Greek words megaphone, megaphone. This is a megaphone voice that needs to go to the whole world. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. And notice these next words from the angel and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Notice here is a call, a call to the world to worship He who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water, to worship the Creator. These words are taken out of the Ten Commandments. These words are taken out of the Fourth Commandment. It's almost a direct quote of the Fourth Commandment that God gave. And so here we have God's final appeal to the world. And in fact, in this very commandment, we have God's seal. God's seal is to be found in the Sabbath commandment at the end of time. Just like Noah was sealed, or as the scriptures say, he was shut in by God. So too God's end time people who are sealed by God's, by God's love, by God's covenant of grace that we find in the Sabbath at the end of time will also be sealed. Now notice before we take a look um, at that a little more, we discover the seal. The seal, a typical seal in ancient times, as well as today, and I'll illustrate that for you in a moment, contain three key elements. And here they are. The name of the person giving the seal, their title, and then finally their authority. We have that all in the Sabbath. God's name, his title, he's the creator, and his authority is over heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Amen. Now, we find these three elements of a seal on our coins. Here I have a $1 coin, kindly donated to me by my good friend, Lindy. I'm not sure if she wants it back, but I think she might. (laughs) But here on this $1 coin, we have a seal. This authenticates uh, this $1 coin as, as genuine and as authentic Australian currency. Now, you may not be able to see it from where you are, but just take a look at an Australian coin and you'll discover on the Australian coin we have we have the queen and her. We have the queen's image on that coin. 
And we have, we have her name, Elizabeth II. There's her name. We have her title signifying a crown. She's wearing a crown on her head. She's the queen. And then we have her authority and her authority is over Australia, which is part of the Commonwealth. So here we have a seal. I have a seal when I sign off. You may be thinking, Danny, you're not the queen. (laughs) The last time I checked, you're not the queen. How can you have a seal? You're not really all that important. That's true. I'm not that important. But I have a seal. When I sign my letters, I sign Danny Malenkov, minister. That's my title, name first, title, minister, Hillview Seventh-day Adventist Church. That's the authority that I have as the pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Those three elements, I have that. The prime minister has that. The president has that. Many of you have that that are watching. So that is God's seal. God's seal. Now we find God's seal in the book of Revelation. Notice what it says in Revelation chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. Just before God pours out the seven last plagues, After the close of probation, these words are spoken by God to the angel. Do not harm the earth, the sea or the trees till we have what? Sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Now in Revelation chapter 14 verse 1, we have these words. John writes, Then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000. So this is that same group that we read of in Revelation 7 that are sealed. Having his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, God's end time people will have God's seal. They will have the father's name. God's seal and the father's name are synonymous. They appear in these two scriptures. Now, what's a name representing scripture? Character. Character. God's people at the end of time are sealed by God because they have chosen his character. Like Noah, who chose the character of God. He, the Bible says he walked with God. He was a righteous man. He was a just man. He was a, he was a man filled with integrity. He was blameless. He was a man who, who, who followed the commandments of God, a man who preached a message of righteousness by faith, a man who loved God with all his heart, soul, strength and mind. And God will have such a people on planet Earth, just like Noah. Individuals who have chosen by the grace of God to give their hearts and lives completely over to him. So at the end of time, God's Sabbath is the outward symbol, just like the rainbow was the outward symbol after the flood. God's Sabbath at the end of time is the outward symbol that you and I have chosen to walk with God, that we have given our hearts and lives to God. We have entered into that final end time covenant with Him. Now, what is so significant regarding a seal, having the seal of God or the Father's name on your forehead? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Notice these words. The Apostle Paul writes, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The seal is significant in that those who are sealed are known by God. God knows those who are his and let everyone who has been sealed by God depart from what? Iniquity. 
and iniquity is sin, and sin is lawlessness, according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Dwight Nelson, Pastor Dwight Nelson, in his devotional, The Chosen, he unpacks the significance of a seal by giving these five all-important points that I'd love for you to, 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 to see. Firstly, a seal. It's proof of ownership. Secondly, it's proof, proof of authenticity, proof of approval, proof of irreversibility, such as King Darius's um, seal placed on, on, on the tomb, sorry, on the, yeah, on Daniel's, um, where he was placed in den, the den of lions, and Jesus' tomb that was sealed. And I love this last one, proof of likeness. That is, ancient kings used cylindrical seals to roll their likeness onto the soft wax so that all who would later see the seal would recognize the likeness of the king. God's seal. God's seal is his likeness, his character imprinted on the character of his children that have chosen to enter into his covenant of love. Does that make sense? Yes or no? And we find that at the end of time in God's blessed Sabbath day. That is why Satan is hell bent on destroying the Sabbath. That is why the Sabbath issue will be the final issue at the end of time, because it's an issue of worship. It's an issue of allegiance. It's who you give your heart and life to. Is it the creator? Is it your redeemer? Is it the one who sustains you day by day? Or is it the one whose name is evil with a capital D, the devil who only seeks to steal, kill and destroy. There are only two options at the end of time. In fact, Revelation very clearly says that we will either have the seal of God and be saved and be spared from the seven last plagues that will come upon this earth. Or sadly, we will experience those seven last plagues and we'll have the mark of the beast. There's only two seals at the end of time. The seal of God the saved or the mark of the beast and the lost. Now you may be thinking, what's the mark of the beast, Danny? Well, we don't have time to unpack that today. But in a previous message, in a previous series entitled End Time Apocalypse, I looked at that subject of the seal of God and the mark of the beast and we unpacked that. So you'll need to talk to 3ABN and I'm sure they'll be able to assist you and help you with that. God's seal at the end of time is... His Sabbath. God's seal at the end of time brings all of God's Edenic blessings together in the Sabbath. All of them. Every single one of them. Now the rainbow and the Sabbath. I want to share with you as we seek to land are eternal signs of God's everlasting grace. Let me repeat that. The rainbow and the Sabbath are eternal signs of God's everlasting covenant of grace. We started in Genesis. We're going to conclude in the book of Revelation and in the book of Isaiah to see how these two outward signs of God's everlasting covenant to the human race, the Sabbath as well as the rainbow come together 
in a beautiful way. The word rainbow appears six times in all of Scripture. Three times in the story of Noah, once in the book of Ezekiel chapter 1, and the other two times are in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 10. Let's go to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, we read these words. John writes, Immediately, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance, speaking of God. And there was a what around the throne? A rainbow around the throne in the appearance like an emerald. So what do we have in heaven that John sees? He sees God's throne and he sees a rainbow that surrounds God's throne. Have we got that together? We're we're together on that. Okay, let's now go to Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10 and verse 1. Notice these words. John once again writing, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was where? On his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. Now this mighty angel, who is this mighty angel? Is this a normal angel that God has created? Even one of his most glorious angels that he has created? No. The description here that John gives is of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Jesus Christ who is being described here. So in Revelation chapter 4, we have God's throne surrounded by a rainbow. And here we have Jesus Christ himself. He has a rainbow over his head. Have we got that? Now... Have a look at what Isaiah has to say about what we will be doing from one Sabbath to another after sin has been eradicated from this world, from this universe, when the sin virus is gone. Notice these words from Isaiah chapter 66, verses 22 and 23. He writes, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord. So God is speaking here to Isaiah. So shall your descendants and your name remain. We continue reading. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one what? Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Wow. Did you get that? Did you get that? Did that sink in? My dear friends that are watching, I hope and pray that sunk in. Let me just repeat what we just read from the book of Revelation and the book of Isaiah. In Revelation, we have a description of God's throne and the Lord Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father on His throne. And we have, we have a rainbow that encircles the throne of God and we have a rainbow that encircles Jesus Christ. And then God's people at the end of time, after the sin virus has been eradicated from this world and God creates a new heaven and a new earth, according to what he tells us in the book of Isaiah, we as redeemed, as those that have been sealed by God's love, as those that have entered into God's love, we will come from one Sabbath to another for all eternity and we will worship before God and His throne that is surrounded by a what? By a rainbow. The rainbow will be 
an outward symbol forevermore every time we come to worship our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ from one Sabbath to another. So the rainbow and the Sabbath, they come together each and every week as the people of God come to worship and praise Him and thank Him for not only creating them, but also for redeeming them from sin through, through the sacrifice of Jesus and ultimately by saving them on an earth made new. So my question is, are you willing to be part of God's everlasting kingdom of love? Are you willing to be part of that group that will come from one Sabbath to another to worship the creator God? Today, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart and my heart. Wherever you are, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. And Jesus, these are his words in Revelation where he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart and my heart and your heart. Our collective hearts. Jesus wants to come in. He wants us to be part of his everlasting kingdom where there will only be love, joy, peace and happiness forevermore. Don't you want to be part of that kingdom? In Noah's day, the invitation was come into the ark. At the end of time, Jesus has his hands outstretched, those nail-scarred hands, and he says, come, come, come. Won't you come? Won't you come? Is that your desire to come? <laughs> Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the invitation to come. We thank you that you stand at the door of our hearts and, and knock and you want to come in. Thank you that you have promised a new world where there'll be no more sin, suffering and sorrow, where from one Sabbath to another, we will gather together as your children around your throne of eternal grace, surrounded by the rainbow, the covenant of promise to worship you forevermore. We can't wait for that day. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. God bless. listening to Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milankov, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. If you have any comments or questions, send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au.